right. Welcome to the Flourish podcast with Dr. Tony Ingram, where you will hear straight from some of the best practitioners and leaders in wellness on how to take control of your family's physical, spiritual, and mental health, because we are all designed to flourish. As a reminder, this show is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the Flourish podcast should be taken as medical advice. For your own specific medical advice, please always consult with your own healthcare providers. Now, today we have on the show Megan Pritchard. Megan is a local midwife and body worker offering holistic care to families in the DFW surrounding area. She lives on a permaculture farm with her husband and two children and believes in the benefits of a natural and healthy lifestyle. Megan, welcome. I'm super glad you're here today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so excited to share with y'all today. Yay. Me too. Me too. Okay. Now tell us, um, first, just kind of give us a background on how you got started as a midwife. Did you always want to work with moms and babies or was this something that happened gradually over time? So, I mean, it's, I would say it's been a continual progression. When I was little bitty, I always told my mom, the only thing I ever wanted to be when I grew up was a mommy because I loved babies so much. So I was always really, really specific and I wanted to have babies. I wanted to work with babies that that was my jam. Um, And then as I grew up, I went into nursing school. And then from there, I knew that I wanted to do labor and delivery. I wanted to do pediatrics or NICU, something like that. So that passion continued through that. And then it just continued to bloom as midwifery kind of came into my field. So you were a, a nurse first, and I think this would, I'm always, I know there's a distinction. So you were a nurse first and then a midwife, but you are not a nurse midwife. That's like right. Those are yes. separate things, right? They're separate things that I did on purpose. So, <laughs> um, I like the, this is one of those pause moments. Sorry. Hey. Go inside. Hi. Yes. Sorry, we've we randomly escaped our captors. Hey, I know you have stickers. Hey, on your market set, go run inside and tell Baba that I'm on a video. Okay. I don't know how you got away. Sneaky, (laughs) sneaky, run. Run, run, run. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I thought we were fine. He's like, no, we'll do media. It's gonna be perfect. And then she just (laughs) okay. All righty. Um, I'm so sorry. Take two. Um, so we were saying about the distinction between midwives, right? Okay. Yes. So yeah, I started out as a registered nurse. And then like I said, as I moved towards midwifery, midwifery was not even at all on my radar. But yes, there are multiple types of midwives. You have the licensed midwife slash certified professional midwife, which is what I am. Mm-hmm. And then you have the nurse midwife, which does require the registered nurse on top of a master's degree, which makes you the nurse midwife. Okay. So there is a distinct difference between the two. You do have some nurse midwives that work out of the hospital, but the vast majority of them are providing in hospital care. Oh, okay. Is that, so tell me about your decision to 
choose the path that you chose versus the nurse midwife path? Was it because you didn't want to be in hospitals or what was, what was the reasoning behind that? Yes, I'm really impassioned for rural care. I like the small towns. I like to have healthcare providers and good options in rural communities. And to be a nurse midwife, you need a governing obstetrician within 20 miles of where you are practicing primarily. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So down in Dallas, it's pretty accessible much more accessible than up in my very rural neck of the woods. I'm right on the Texas Oklahoma border. So Oh, I didn't realize it was quite that far. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm dual far. I am far. Yeah, I'm licensed in both states, Texas and Oklahoma. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I um, can walk to Oklahoma. So. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So that was an intentional decision. So yes. Do you mainly perform or most of your births with most of your clients, are they mostly home births or is there a birthing center that you utilize nearby? I primarily do home births. So I like the familiarity and the comfort of people being in their own environments. I like to sit on their couches with their kids and meet their pets. I mm -hmm. feel like people connect on a deeper level and my intervention rate I see is quite low at home. And I think a lot of it's just because people are so comfortable in their own environment. So you're mitigating yeah. a lot of risks from, you know, the emotions of getting in the car and going to another place and doing your check-in paperwork. And am I going to make it on time? Like yeah. all of that yeah. gone. Um, they just call when they're ready and I go and serve them in their homes and had a beautiful home birth this morning. That was like two miles from my house, which is like luxury. Oh, um, nice. A hop, skip and a jump. Yeah. But yeah, I show up when you feel like you're in labor or when you're ready for support and we have a sweet little baby at home. And then I stay for about four hours on average after the fact. So mm -hmm. sometimes more, sometimes a little bit less, depending mm -hmm. on what the family needs. But once everybody's breastfeeding well or feeding well and comfortable and stable, ready for a nap, then that's when I go home. And then I continue to provide care for at least six weeks postpartum. So which, okay. Yeah. So which similar to an OB where you go for your six week postpartum check. Yeah. But four or five more times. Yes. Nice. Yeah. So, so kind of like an OB, but totally different, but totally different. Yeah. So <laughs> I absolutely, yes. Just like an OB, but a hundred percent different. So yeah. yes, we both do the same thing. Um, I just go to your home to do it. Mm -hmm. And instead of the one six week check, I'm usually seeing you weekly through the postpartum period. Awesome. So, awesome. And I follow, I follow mom and baby through postpartum. So that really helps me to be present for breastfeeding, for looking at oral restrictions, for really seeing how everything is progressing as the baby grows and as the mom is healing and really growing into motherhood, whether it's the first time or the fifth, you know, it's, it's dynamic every single time. So would you, would you say, cause I know that in the hospital system in allopathic medicine, the OB's patient is the mom and then the pediatrician's patient is the baby. So is that, is that similar for you or are you really the practitioner for the dyad? I am the practitioner for the dyad. As long okay. as they, both parties are low risk 
which means they are healthy, they are falling within my scope of practice, then yes, I am practitioner doing well baby checks as well as care for mom the whole way through from conception to six weeks postpartum for both of them. Awesome. This all sounds like so lovely and relaxing and like giving birth is this natural, no big deal kind of thing. Yeah. Who would have thought? (laughs) (laughs) I know I wouldn't have thought the way, not the way that, that I grew up for sure. (laughs) Well, no, me neither. I didn't know what a midwife was. Honestly, I went all the way through nursing school and I'm so embarrassed to even tell you, but I went all the way and got my RN and I honest to goodness thought that an epidural was required for a baby to exit a human vagina. (laughs) Like I had no idea. I just like, that was the only thing I'd ever seen. And that's how it's presented. Like, oh, well, they come in, they get their epidural, they have their baby. Sometimes they have a C-section, you know, so, and it's, there's just not any emphasis at all put in natural birth or what that looks like or the benefits yeah. of it versus the risks of the interventions that we're facing. Right. And Absolutely. so, yeah, I don't know where I thought the epidural had to come from when people had babies at home, but I mean, I guess it just wasn't on my radar. Um, <laughs> midwifery was not on my radar at all. I met a very dear friend of mine in a chiropractor's office with her mm-hmm. new baby. And she just asked me one question that absolutely changed the whole trajectory of my life. And she just sat down and she just said, oh, hey, are you pregnant? And I was like, yeah, I'm like, you know, 47 minutes pregnant. You know, it was like so early. It was like 11 weeks. And she's like, oh, do you like your OB? And I'm like, no, you know, he laughed at me when I told him I wanted to have a natural birth. He laughed at me and he said, yeah, we'll see. And I was like, you know, and that's not really what I'm looking for. And she's like, oh, you should meet a midwife. Here's her card. And I was like, what is a midwife? I've never heard of a midwife. Is this like some Dr. Quinn stuff? Like, what is this? Right. And I called this midwife and met with her the next day and absolutely fell in love. And I never looked back. Oh, wow. Jumped right off the cliff into natural health and natural birthing and like had my eyes blown wide open and never could look back. So I was practicing as a registered nurse then. So like it was, I, I actually, this is slightly off topic, but I actually lost my job as a registered nurse. Yeah. No way. Yeah, 39 weeks pregnant because I was, it. I'm serious because my nurse manager at the time, her husband was an anesthesiologist at the local hospital. And he said, and she's like, well, you have to tell me when your induction is because he has to put his schedule in. We're really getting down to the wire. You have to tell me when your induction is. And I was like, mm, I'm not going to be induced. And like, this was like a cat and mouse game that she and I played for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. And finally she like had me in her office and she's like, you look like we're out of time. He has to put his schedule. He has to be the one to do your epidural. This is a big deal. You want it done. Right. And I was like, look, I'm so sorry, but I'm having the baby at a birthing center. I'm having a natural birth with a midwife. And the very next day I was called in and told that I was a poor representation um, for the hospital that I worked for. So yes. And they fired at 39 yeah. weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. So they gave me a really, really cushy, um, postpartum package, I guess, to go away. But, um, yeah. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. I probably want to stay at home with my baby anyways. This is probably a blessing that I didn't even know that I needed. And it was, 
it absolutely was because by the time I went through that birth and really saw what it was all about and got my new baby in my arms, I couldn't go back. I just couldn't. So it was perfect. Gracious. And so what year was that? That was in 2012. In 2012. Yes. And then in 2014, I jumped onto the midwifery boat. So nice. Yes. Oh my goodness. First baby and on December 2nd of 2015. So very cool. Very cool. So I would, let's start with the benefits. What would be the benefits of using a midwife, whether it's at home or at a birthing center versus using, you know, allopathic traditional OB in a hospital setting? I'd say the biggest benefit is honestly the human connection so that you get to really get to know your provider. Mm-hmm. So we sit, you know, we, we talk a lot. Our appointments are all at least an hour long. So I know it doesn't sound like a lot that I'm with you for at least 12 hours before you give birth. And really that's like a drop in the bucket, but compared to like being with an, a standard OB for, I think it's about 45 minutes total before you give birth. I'm trying to yeah. remember what, but it's, it's not long, you know, it's just not long, but Agreed. you know, one hour visits the whole way through with the same provider, we really get to talk, we get to connect. I, you know, that trust builds over time, that connection builds over time. And then when you are in the hard part of labor, you know that I'm with you, that I'm beside you, you know, that you can trust me in this experience, that I'm going to be honest with you and that I'm there to walk you through it with you. So I would say that's honestly, that's the biggest benefit to me. Um, there's of course others like, um, you're going to experience fewer interventions, like unnecessary interventions. So you have interventions accessible to you. If you need them, we carry emergency medications. We're all CPR NRP certified. You know, we've got skills, very skilled hands that we like to sit on is how I like to put it. So, okay. That makes sense. mm -hmm, Yeah. There are, you know, like I said, there's fewer interventions, you get to be in the comfort of your own home, but honestly, it comes back to that connection and information because there's just buckets and buckets of information sharing the whole way through. I love it. Yeah. So, so when you say unnecessary interventions, like what are some examples of things that, that happen in the hospital that maybe are sometimes unneeded or could be avoided at, at home? So um, one of my favorite ones is continuous monitoring, like continuous fetal heart rate monitoring. Mm-hmm. If you actually look at the different studies on it, you don't see a significant increase in safety. And yes, in continuous monitoring versus intermittent monitoring, but uh-huh. you do see an uptick in more unnecessary interventions from continuous monitoring versus intermittent monitoring. So like, for example, if we're continuously monitoring baby and there's a drop in heart rate, then the team in the hospital might jump to say, okay, we need to go ahead and do a C-section. Whereas if you just wait a little bit or take a step back, it would resolve on its own. Is that? Or or change positions or let the mother move around or offer her hydration or offer her some food, raise her blood sugar. So there's, you know, and a lot of times it's, it's truly, it's that position change. It could be because the baby is in such a dynamic position, trying to work that cardinal, those cardinal movements to get down into the pelvis 
and work its way through and out of the pelvis that sometimes, I mean, it can take a funny turn and have to backtrack or really need the accessibility of an open pelvis and a mom that can move around to correct issues like that. So when a mom is on her back, their legs up in the air on these continuous monitoring, it's hard for a baby to work through a pelvis, you know, basically up through that sacral curve. So it's, yeah. And that, and I, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've gone through the process, but if I remember correctly, I was able to move. So I did both hospital births, you know, both Mm -hmm. times with an OB, but my youngest is 10. So it's been, you know, over a decade. Um, and if I remember correctly, I was allowed to move around some, but that, that was a fairly new idea. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was new that we could move and get out of bed a little bit or, you know, sit somewhere else, sit on a ball if we wanted to sit on a ball, but it seems like in your world, that's, that is the birthing process. That is what you do is you have them change positions as needed. Absolutely. For their comfort, because when a mom is feeling safe in her environment and with her body, she can really sink into what her body instinctually needs. You know, she feels like she needs to put one of her legs, you know, way off to the side or get up and do a lunge or bend way over. I mean, I have seen women do wild things through (laughs) labor. I personally stood like a flamingo for hours during my first delivery. Yes. That's the only place, only thing that I could do. I wanted to stand on one leg and make my husband hold the other one. And that's what worked for me. And they would have not let me do that in the hospital. They would have just not done it. Um, Yeah. And at the birth center, they're like, huh, we've never seen this before. Look at you listening to your body. Your legs are going to hurt tomorrow. You know, but like they let me do it. And it was amazing. It's what my body needed. It's what instinctually my body was telling me to do. So, And I think that's what I love about all holistic care. But it seems like, like... Reasons where, man, if I could go back and do it again, how cool would it be to use a midwife and, and deliver it home? Just that that beautiful process of being encouraged and coached to listen to your body and to be your your own advocate for what you need and your own health expert, your own physician of your own body um, mm-hmm. is something that I'm, I always love any other practitioner who's on the same wavelength, who encourages us to do these things for ourselves instead of the mindset of I, when you're in a, a hospital setting, you basically belong to the doctor and you do whatever the doctor says. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's the difference in their clients for us. They're not patients. We do not call our moms and babies patients. They are clients because they oh, are government. Yes. Yeah. It's based on informed choice, like truly actually based on informed choice. Yes. So yes. Yes. Okay. I still, that still, I know a lot of practitioners that I work with refer to the people they work with as clients instead of patients. And Mm -hmm. I, man, that's going to take me a while to correct my tongue and not say patient. So if you catch me, yeah, you're good. (laughs) Call me on it if you catch me. (laughs) Okay. So let's, so like I said, my babies are older. I think I'm probably done. 
but let's go back in time and talk to the Tony of 10 or 15 years ago. How about 15 years ago before my first one, where if talking about a midwife and giving birth at home, the idea of it scared me to death. What if something happened and you're at home and then there's an emergency and you have to go to the hospital? Like that's, it sounded scary to me. So what are the risks of delivering with a a midwife delivering at home or in a birthing center? And how do you mitigate those risks? What do you tell that mom that's maybe scared to take that leap? Sure. And it is, it is scary. The thought of a hospital transport. So it's one thing that's encouraging to my clients. If we do need to take a hospital transport is that I go with them. Hmm. So um, we load up. If we go in an ambulance, I try to be a ride on, on the ambulance. You know, we, or if we go in a private car, I come along and then I stay for mm-hmm. the hospital trip. So, but yes, there is a risk it, with anywhere that you birth. There's a risk sure. in the hospital. There's a risk in the birth center. There's a risk at home. There's a risk at, in the woods by the creek. You know, there's a risk literally anywhere that you're trying to give birth. It doesn't mean that it's a dangerous thing by any means, but yeah, there is always inherent risk in anything that we do in life. So um, one way that I try to mitigate these risks is with very careful screening. So I try to work with families the whole way through and we are discussing, you know, this is your risk category right now. I want to, if we are getting out of this risk category for ABCD, I would like to talk to you about it. If I tell people all the time, look, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be being risky with you. If there's a reason that we need to go somewhere, then I'm going to be the first one to tell you. And like, we're working to build this bond the whole time. That way, you know, if I'm saying these words to you, Hey, like we need to go in that, you know, that I mean it, that, you know, that I'm not coming into it lightly. And most everyone knows how I feel about hospital settings by the time we get to the finish line of delivery Yeah, and that I wouldn't be throwing those words around lightly. Yeah. So we also limit risks with being able to carry emergency medications like anti-hemorrhagics. Um, oh, we, that's awesome. Yes. Yep. So in the case of postpartum hemorrhage, we are able to give life-saving anti-hemorrhagic medicines. We mm-hmm. are able to put in IVs for hydration. So it's not, we're not completely without within our scope of practice. So in that in itself just minimizes risks as well. And education, education hugely, I feel like minimizes risks because people actually truly know what they're deciding on. And then they can work through it mentally, they can work through it physically and have their ideas for what they want to do as well for their risk factors. And then that comfort itself, a lot of times it's kind of like packing a bag that you don't need. So, right. Okay. And is that, is hemorrhaging is bleeding right after, is that the most common cause of needing to transport to a hospital? So um, it depends on the midwife and just kind of the run that you're seeing. So Mm -hmm. I would say, honestly, statistically, I do not see a lot of hemorrhages. Mm. So I certainly do periodically, but it's, I wouldn't, it's not my most common reason to transport. So my most common reason, um, trying to think statistically, because like I said, it depends on the year. So some years. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it, it is. Yes. Every once in a while, you know, it's like, oh, we have a string of 
really thickly meconium stained fluids or fetal heart rate decelerations or, you know, it just, it's, it does, it kind of comes in strings. So, mm-hmm. um, I've, it's been a long time since I had a string of people wanting to go in for pain management. I saw that more when I worked at the birth center. Interesting. Um, yeah. People at home, I've never sent anyone at home in for wanting pain management, but when That's- I worked at the birth center, yeah, I would see that pretty huh. often. That was my okay. most common reason for transport. So why do you um, think that is? Why do you think they were wanting pain management? Do you think maybe they, the coaching up beforehand, what, like the, was the pain just more than they expected? Most of the time it's on moms that have had pain management prior. And I see a significant decrease in this happening with people that have had childbirth education. So people that have come into it fully educated or as fully educated as they can possibly get. Mm-hmm. It's very, very uncommon for me to send somebody in for pain management. It's more like, well, I had a baby in the hospital with an epidural and I've given birth before and this is fine. I'm, I don't want to take your class. I don't want to do, read the book that you threw at me. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm fine. And yeah. those are the people a lot of times I'll wind up taking in. So gotcha. it's, I've, I've gotten a little more assertive with time as we've gone along. And I'm like, look, as lady. we all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, excuse me, by the way, I don't want to take you in for this. Can we talk <laughs> through this? We need to work through this. Let's, and that's one reason like the body work comes in so perfectly too. It's a really good opportunity to kind of just get down into the nitty gritty of our bodies, of our lives to say, okay, like we really need to discuss, you know, how, how all of this is working with your pelvis, with your uterus. How is this all hitting you mentally? So it's, it's a really dynamic thing. Well, you just brought up something that I bet not very many people know about. So tell us a little bit about doing body work, you doing it yourself. And and what is that all about? So body work, um, I do body work primarily at Kikino. So I offer it to my clients in their birth space, in their prenatal space as well. But other than that, I am doing intravaginal attunement at Kikino, which what is that? That is working through your pelvis and through your vaginal walls and muscles, your fascia, Mm -hmm. all of the ligaments that run through our pelvic bowl. Mm -hmm. internally and externally to help to either relax where it needs to relax or strengthen where it needs to strengthen. It also really helps to remove emotional trauma because we as women, either our births or even our gynecological experiences or things that we've gotten into throughout our lives, just being human in a human experience can really sit in our tissues and affect how we feel, how our pelvic organs function, how our sexual experience is, how our childbirthing is. All of that is extremely, extremely relevant. And we can really access that. I can really access it through body work, which has just been absolutely mind-blowing for me how much it can help. So like I said, I'm using it regularly in births now. And it's just been mind blowing and game changing the whole way through. Fascinating. So you're doing it primarily before birth to help ease the process, ease labor and delivery or primarily after or both? Both. So I would say I see more people after 
I mean, I saw a lady the other day that's 20 years post childbirth. It's like, oh no, like, hey, it's never too late. Let's go. And, you know, and that's amazing. So it's never too late. I would say I don't see a whole lot of pregnant people for it, but it's very, very doable to do through pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with doing it for preparation. I, like I said, I see my own pregnant women for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do it all the way through for them whenever they want it, whenever they have something come up. If they're like, well, my hips are really hurting me and the chiropractor just wasn't enough. What can we look at? So, okay, well, we have this option. So it's basically, so it's body work and fascial release, but is it because now I'm trying to get a picture in my head and I'm guessing people listening who've never heard of it either are going to try to get a picture in their head. Are, are you doing things internally? Is this body work that's internal? Yes. So, which I am bizarrely licensed suited for because I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. I am a medical healthcare provider. Yeah. So that is, yeah. that is the, the orifice that you are that, licensed that to work in. I am a hundred percent licensed in the vaginal orifice. I so, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, this is it. I mean, and it's also body work beforehand. So I'm working through your body systems, working mm-hmm. through your abdomen and through your hips and your head and your arms. Like, and we are talking the whole way through. We're talking about your births. If you've given birth before, we're mm-hmm. talking about your postpartum periods and what's, what's your marriage like, you know, I'm getting all kinds of nosy because it's all really, really relevant yeah. And on our path and our journeys to healing, I really feel like it's something that is just like missed. It's just missed. So it's, there are pelvic floor therapists and sometimes there is absolutely an occasion that someone needs pelvic floor therapy. Absolutely. As well. It actually works really well in combination with what I'm doing. What would be the distinction between, and you call it, you call it vaginal attunement. Is that what you said? Yes. Or pelvic attunement or pelvic attunement. What's the distinction between that and pelvic floor therapy? So most pelvic floor therapists are going to be a bit more geared to like a diagnosis or looking, you know, how do we correct these specific muscles or the specific prolapse? So, whereas I'm getting a little bit more deeply, especially into the emotional body of the work, which I, I feel like is a huge, huge component working through all of those tissues for sure. For sure. The, um, I love the book, the, the body keeps the score. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that, I feel like the principles that our holistic practitioners teach and practice by go beyond even what the, the book talked about, um, like your body, your cells literally hold onto that stress and trauma and it's incorporated into the cells as you go along in age and it creates dysfunction in different areas of the body. And it, every person is going to hold that trauma and hold that stress in different areas. Um, but I, I, it was mind opening to, to see the impacts of having somebody release some of their trauma and how that impacted them physically. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's huge. It is absolutely huge. So yeah, the body work, my introduction to body work just completely blew me out of the water. 
completely. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what's missing. This is like, we can make this better. Like this is already really cool. Yeah. But let's make it better. And it it does. And I just, yeah, I'm so excited every day, every single day. I'm so excited. Very, very cool. So tell me if you had to pick like three things, I think I already know. I already know your one thing. Tell me favorite parts of your job. Hmm. Okay. So, um, since I'm stammering, I will be quiet. And also I want to mention, um, my phone is going to die. So I need to change backgrounds so that I can go plug it in. Okay. Super sorry. Sorry, Michael. All good. (laughs) Um, maybe I'll plug it in while I think and stammer for just a second. There you go. Perfect. I didn't realize how quickly Zoom, I had like a completely full phone battery and I was like, oh yeah, that's going to be perfect. And now it's like 9%. I was like, ah, <laughs> ah because you were outside, I bet. I bet that Probably. made it drain your battery faster. I think that's possible. I didn't think about that. So it's significantly quieter with better lighting, but that's fine. We'll go back. <laughs> that's all right. So you had said my three favorite things about my job. Yes. Favorite okay. things. All right. Surprise. Number one um, is human connection. So probably nailed it. That one, I guess. Uh, yes. Got it. <laughs> yeah. And like, I love to meet people like just in general, like even if it's not midwifery, even if it's not body work, yes. like, I love people that talk to me in whole foods, even like, I just love people talking and communicating with each other. Like just, yep. oh my God, it just makes me so happy. The information sharing, wisdom sharing. It's, it's huge and it's undervalued. It's completely undervalued. And are so, you a more of a one-on-one person than a big group person? So, um, you know, I, not necessarily. No. Um, you like big groups too. I do. Yeah. I just, I like all people. Nice. Yes. Nice. I yeah. was trying to guess your, your disc profile. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, have you ever done that? Have you ever done a disc assessment? No, you don't have to tell it? me what it is. No, oh, they're, they're fun to do. And I, I like to do it because I like to, um, to train my team on how to interact with patients based on it. Um, okay. and so, so it's a D I S C is disc. And then based on your questionnaire, it's, are you a people person or not a people person? Are you, um, let's see, introverted or extroverted? Um, are you detailed? Are you not detailed? And so Whoa. you would, you would probably be an S or an I because you're very people oriented. Okay. Maybe so. I'm going to go look it up. To go take like, it. Is that like an Enneagram? Yeah. So it's like um, Enneagram only way simpler. My husband loves the Enneagram and it drives me nuts because I feel like it's too complex for me to use day to day. I get that. (laughs) And it is, it is complex, Um, but I still like it. I I like to be able to figure out how people think. Um, It it helps me um, because I, I really, I do like to tailor my approach because not everybody needs the same I mean, they don't, they just, they don't need the same learning style or the same communication style. And you have to meet people where they're at. 
to get the maximum benefit of what you're looking for. Because yeah. if you're throwing a whole bunch of stuff at somebody that they're like, you know, I just, I'm, you're overwhelming me, honestly, like, and then what's the point? Like you, you have to find the right tool in the toolbox to work with the person. So that's, that is the beauty of individualized care. I keep my numbers really small, my client numbers. That mm-hmm. way I can really give that level of focus that I'm wanting to give. So, because it, it just, it's huge. It's just fundamental. And even if I can only touch one person's life, I want to touch it correctly and fully yeah. to the best of my ability. So, yeah. But yes, top favorite thing, it. human connection. That was um, very high S of you. Oh, just thank you. <laughs> I'm going to totally look that up later. Uh, <laughs> see my, oh my God, I'm so excited. So um, my second favorite thing is the information sharing because I've had the opportunity to inform people about things that they've never even considered. Mm-hmm. So whether that be, you know, like um, I'm trying to figure out exactly whether it be the risks of artificial fragrances or what celiac disease is or lip and tongue ties, Mm -hmm. you know, and of course there's much bigger hot topic items that I'm informing people about as well. And you can say all the hot topic items. It's it's all good. Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, like vaccines, for example, you know, that's, I have families that have absolutely no idea until I'm offering them information and statistics and resources and books. And then you can watch people's eyes open and their mind just be totally blown with a little bit of information. And I am in a perfect position to share information with people. So I believe in evidence-based care. I think it's extremely, extremely important. And people deserve to know the good with the bad and be able to make decisions that they really feel good about for their families. So I think communication is just crucial. It's absolutely crucial in the work that we do. So that's my number two is that I have access. So, um, and then, yeah, number three is I'm going to be cheesy, but it's watching families grow. So I like to watch families grow together. I love to see babies that I've caught previously, you know, bring me a drawing, you know, after I catch their new sibling, like it just melts me in half. Like I just, I love to be a part of their lives to where the kids want to tell me about their piano lessons or, you know, that I, I come for the postpartum visit and the older kids are like, Miss Megan, Miss Megan, you've got to meet the baby. And I'm like, Yes. I, yeah. Let me, I was there, but yeah, <laughs> met the baby already, but I'm going to meet it again with you and it's going to be even better. So, you know, I'm, I've done this long enough now that I have by no means done it as long as I will, but like I've caught, you know, four and five babies for families at this point. And that's, so cool. that's just, oh my gosh, it's so cool to go yeah. like, from the first baby and you're seeing this mom and she's never done this before. And she has no idea what she's looking at. She has no idea what she's doing. And you walk her through that first birth all the way through all of her babies that she has until she's done having babies. And I have sat on couches and cried more than clients on six week visits when they're done having babies. And like I had one this almost a year ago. Now that baby's almost a year that literally 
Um, she was so certain that she was done. She named this baby with her initials E-N-D for end. Like that is the, <laughs> the end of the babies. We are done. And I was like, wow, that is a level of clever. I would have never considered. Right. Any children, That's impressive. It was impressive. It was premeditated and I am here for it. But like oh. I sat on her couch at her six week visit and I just cried and cried and cried. And she's like patting my hand and she's like, it's okay. I'm going to see you socially. We're going to go to play groups and co-op and it's going to be okay. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how to process, but you know, it's That's again, awesome. yes. it comes back to human connection. Yeah. You know, these so many cases, like these people are becoming family. And that's just not something that like, as a nurse, that's literally, I went into nursing to help people for human connection. And that was not something accessible to me. So, and it's, and you do such a good job at creating a community around, around your people. Like you've got a lot of people people. and I've seen you, I've seen you bring a client into my office and know that a client needs a certain, a certain type of care, whether it's a procedure for the baby or body work or extra body work. Um, and you said, you know, if this family can't afford it, we will make it happen because we believe in a giving economy. Tell me, tell me a little bit about, because I've never dug into the, to the details on that, but I could tell it's something that's important to you and your husband. Um, Mm -hmm. so tell me kind of, what does that mean? And what do you, what do you do? How do you help the people in your community and how do you support each other? Absolutely. So, um, yes, my husband and I both practice a form of gift economy. Uh, his is a little bit more. Uh, flexible than mine. Um, my husband is a fishing guide for those of you that don't know me. Um, so he lets people name their pricing with a recommended rate so that the experience is still accessible to everyone that wants it, but also he's not putting a price on the experience. It lets people truly and fully enjoy themselves and then pay what they felt like it was worth afterwards. He panicked me completely when he did this, but like, it's been the most beautiful journey and it gave him so much life and so much love in his profession that like, of course he was right, you know, and he just has never looked back on it. Mine is similar. uh, And for similar reasons, I offer what's called sliding scale. So Mm -hmm. I base my rates. I have a range. I have a low end and a high end. And I explain Mm -hmm. to people this low end, make sure all of my costs are covered. Um, this covers me, this covers your care team, your birth assistant, anything that you need through the process, all of your appointments, your labs, yada, 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 covers everything. Mm-hmm. But if you can give more than this lower end, then I'm able to take the excess that you're giving and apply it into a community fund. And that helps me to help local families. So whether I have somebody who unexpectedly lost their car or heaven forbid their spouse, you know, there's that's happened. Often. Yes. Oh my yes. gosh. So, um, yeah, I've seen, I have, I've had families rendered completely unexpectedly homeless, like two weeks after they had a baby of no fault of their own. So, um, that's when my community fund gets to say, Oh, Hey, I've got you. Let's go get an extended stay. Here's my card. Yeah. So, and 
it gives me a lot of fulfillment to be able to have that as a fail safe for families. Like, and like I said, you know, if it comes down to like you were mentioning, like extra services that a family is needing, if Mm -hmm. it's needed, I still want to see them go, you know, somewhere that I truly believe in. I want, they deserve to get good quality care. And I, I'm grateful that I'm in a position that I have a community fund that I have family, families regularly donate towards that I can support things like that. So it gives me a lot of peace in knowing that I can help in even in unexpected ways. That's awesome. So you have some families that'll donate above and beyond even past the birthing process. Yes. Yeah. I have every once in a while, I'll have a family that's like, oh, hey, we wanted to put this in your community fund. So it's not super often. Most of the time it's, you know, it's when they're paying for their midwifery fees, but Mm -hmm. yeah, every once in a while I get surprised with, you know, a check in the mail or an envelope and a thank you card that says, Hey, put this in your fund. I know. I love it. It is. I, I really, really like how I'm doing it now. Yeah. I love it. Now let's talk. So other end of the spectrum, um, you have the sliding scale, you have the community fund, you are really taking care of people at such a core level. Um, is there any room in what you do and how you do it to interact or file any kind of insurance at all? So the sharing ministries, work really great midwifery wise. So Mm -hmm. like the Samaritan, CHM, all of those, they are incredibly midwife friendly. So, and most of those will completely cover midwifery services. So um, Mm -hmm. like no question, no questions asked, send us your fees. We've got you no problem. So standard insurance, I have learned through the years how to bill standard insurance, but a lot of times, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I would say it's honestly, it's one of my least favorite parts of it is the people that are needing really desperately needing their insurance to cover this for that to be a barrier Yeah, because that's just, that is so irritating to me yes. that it has to be a barrier in good quality care. And I see it and I understand it, but at the same time, it still makes me, you know, want to rake my nails down the chalkboard. Yes. But Um, but anyways, I would say that every once in a while, yes, I'll have a big business like Cigna, something like that. I'll submit a super bill and every once in a while they'll cut a check. Um, not usually for the full amount, but for something and I'm like, like, Oh, Hey, look at that. But most of the time it's more trouble than it's worth. So because I'll start the process and then the family has to follow up on it. And really be the squeaky wheel. Like, oh, hey, no, we submitted this. What did you think about this? Do we need to update coding? You know, and it's mm-hmm. it's so stinky, though, to have to even deal with it. Because I really feel like it pulls away from the experience. Um, oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. I know that it's important for some families, though. And I am willing to help with yeah. billing invoices, for sure. Is it... So I would think it's so strange to me, but that that's just insurance. Um, you would think that it would make sense for the insurance companies to cover midwifery, midwifery to cover um, 
births that happen in a birthing center or at home, because you would think inherently that the costs would be lower overall. Is that, that, and I don't know what the numbers are. Are the, are the costs lower typically? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, uh, so much, so much, so much, so much lower on average, you're looking between five and $10,000 for midwifery care in y'all's area. Mm -hmm. Um, our area is a little bit different. We're rural, but, um, and then on average for hospital birth, you're looking over 20,000 for a normal unmedicated vaginal birth. So, and that doesn't even include your OB care leading up to it. That's just the birth. $20,000 for unmedicated vaginal vaginal delivery. Yes. Like the simplest it can get. Yep. 20 plus your OB fees. Correct. That's yeah. That's for the uninsured clientele. So yeah. Yeah. That it costs too much money to have babies. (laughs) Babies are expensive. Babies are expensive. (laughs) And birth is just really only getting started on pricing. Like it's, it's, it's big money, especially in the hospital, but coming back to the insurance, a lot of the big name insurance companies are um, physician invested. Yeah. So, you know, it all follows the money. It just truly does. So, but yeah, no midwifery is, I have a lot, I would say that by far, most of my families are completely uninsured. So, and that's a big part of the reason that they have explored their options. Like, well, I'm going to have a natural birth anyways. Right. <laughs> let's, let's see where I should do it and how can I still feed my family and yes. afford good quality care. Yes. So you get the I most reckon- bang for your buck, the best quality at the right. lowest price for that quality. Yeah. And what I, ex- I explain it frequently because I will have people periodically that want to choose me just because of pricing. Um, and I explain heartily, like that is the worst possible reason for you to choose to do this. Because at the end of the day, this is an unmedicated delivery. Like you need to not be on the fence about this. Don't choose me because I'm cheaper than a hospital. That is a yeah. terrible, terrible reason to utilize one of my spots. Like yeah. you need to do this because you want this, because you're committed to this, to this style of care. So that's, yeah, I will turn people away if that's the literal only reason they're looking at midwifery care. Like I, I, I love this for you. Thank you. But like, yep. I need you committed on a deeper level because I'm committed on a deeper level. That's so smart. How often do you, how often do you turn away a client? Oh my gosh. I turn away a lot of people, honestly, Dr. Ingram. Um, not like, because, well, not because they're like a good, they're not a good fit. Like I love everybody. I would love to help a whole lot more people that I do, but I like, we mentioned, I live on a permaculture farm. I homeschool. I, you know, I've got small children and I also do body work. Like I have a lot of extracurricular interests. We haven't even got into half of them got lots of irons in the fire and I keep my numbers small so that I can really pour myself as fully as I need to into my clients. Yeah. So, um, I am a small practice midwife. So at the very, very most I'm taking up to three a month. So, and moving into this next year, I'm looking at one or two a month just because I truly, I want to give the level of care that I want to give. Like if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to be limited to only one hour appointments. So mm-hmm. as like, for instance, uh-huh. if I'm doing body work as well, like that's more than an hour for us to talk all the prenatal stuff. 
mm-hmm. and do the body work and even discuss midwifery. Like I'm looking at like a two hour long appointment. You're going to be there a while. Yep. I'm going to be there a while and yeah. I want to be there. I don't want to be rushed. I want to, if I, I tell people all the time, if I'm going to do midwifery, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. And that's with my whole heart and with my full intention. So mm-hmm. I keep my numbers small. Like I'm, I am fully booked for all 2023 due dates. I turn lots of people away a week and it's, it's hurt my heart a lot through the process. But if I took everybody, I couldn't take care of people the way that I want to take care of people. Yeah, absolutely. I give priority booking to my repeat clients. Of course, I'm not going to turn away a repeat client, Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, I try to keep it to one to two a month. And that's, I feel like that's plenty for me. There's lots of really good, really qualified midwives out there. Um, and I'm happy. I have a referral list of people. I was about I to say, I'm, I know, you know, quite a few too. I know quite a few and I am always happy to refer to other providers and help people. I tell people all the time, like, Hey, I can't help you. I'm too full, but let me help you find a good fit. Yeah. So, so if they, if someone wants to get in, let's say they're not a repeat client, if it's a first time mom and they, they think they want to use you specifically, then how soon do they need to be calling? Is it as soon as they find out they're pregnant? Is it before they try to get pregnant? I would say both. Um, I have preconception consults all the time. Do you? I do. Yeah, absolutely. So I have people that are like, okay, I'm going to start trying in May. Mm -hmm. I need you to be planning for me to call you. (laughs) And, you know, and I wish I could honor that. Like, and I try. Yeah. But it's, I very much am doing a first come first serve. And I cannot tell you how many phone calls I've had when people are like, I literally just peed on the stick in the bathroom. And you're the first person I told my husband doesn't even know yet. Oh, and and I'm so very extremely honored and flattered to like hold space for people to be like, you could have like wiped for sure before you (laughs) called, like, you know, wash your hands, (laughs) wash your hands before you make the call. But, and that's, that's, it's not just me. Don't let me fool you. Like that's the case with most midwives. Most of us yeah. that have, you know, a, a clientele that knows us and trusts us and that we're doing lots of babies for, you know, multi-babies, multi-baby families. Yeah. So yeah, you definitely, you need to book early. It's extremely important to call just as soon as you know, Hey, I'm pretty sure I want this. When can we meet for a consultation? So yeah. yes, I have people literally, as soon as they find out that they're like, okay, Hey, excuse me, hold my spot. Um, (laughs) so I'm like, okay. Um, are there some, are there some, um, some people who will wait and not, not call at all until like, especially more experienced moms, they've done it before and just not even worry about bringing in a midwife until they're, you know, farther along in their first trimester, maybe even second trimester. It's I, yes, every once in a while. Yeah. I'll get calls like that too. Um, again, most of my, it's I, a lot of times like you, you do, you feel like, you know, your body and you're experienced and there's nothing wrong with that except for, you know, if you're wanting a specific midwife, you need to not do that. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, yeah, no, I tell people all the time, you are the one in charge here. 
Like there's nothing, unless you're wanting blood testing for progesterone levels, for hormone levels, check-ins in the early weeks, mm-hmm. like you are the one that is doing all of the work for this pregnancy in the beginning. You are in charge of everything mm-hmm. that crosses your lips, every bite, every drink, every supplement, everything that you do, like this is all in your hands and I'm happy to talk you through and I'm happy to counsel you. But like, this is, this is you, like, you've got this, you are the one growing this baby. So I love that. Very Mm -hmm. cool. Yep. So what are there like for, for the section that maybe this gets kicked off YouTube for our rumble section, Uh (laughs) what are are any current controversies or current trends in the birthing world or in your world specifically? So, I mean, of course, vaccinations are always, always a hot ticket item. Um, Circumcision is still, I would say, at least in my area, circumcision is still a back and forth, up and down kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, I would say the majority of my families don't circumcise. Really? Oh yeah. No, the vast majority don't. Every once in a while, I'd say at least maybe once a year. But mm-hmm. again, that's that they will. That is a small amount. Mm-hmm. Very, very small amount. But again, we're doing a whole lot of information sharing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm encouraging people to watch the procedure, you know, to mm-hmm. actually like really look into it. And what do other countries do about circumcision? Is this mm-hmm. covered by insurance anymore? Oh, hey, no, actually, this is a cosmetic procedure. Hmm. What is male? Is it covered by insurance? Oh. No, no, well, it's covered by insurance, but not by Medicaid is my okay. understanding right now. Yeah. Okay. Medicaid no longer covers it because it's a cosmetic procedure. It's cosmetic. How it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't have boys. So this is a world I know nothing about. Um, is it, are you, are you okay sharing your personal opinion on it? What do you, what do you think? Oh, yeah. So um, to me, like I said, my background was in nursing and I assisted with circumcisions in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was incredibly eye-opening to realize mm-hmm. what a bodyboard was and, you know, that some pediatricians numb them and some do not, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, this is the babies cannot be given really anything besides homeopathy for pain. Yeah. Uh, that it's, yeah, that it's a big deal that babies routinely die from circumcision. Um, from side effects from circumcision. Yeah. No, they'll bleed to death. They'll get infections. Yeah. Circumcisions, um, circumcisions can be incredibly risky. So, Hmm. uh, it's very, very important that people go into it actually informed because most people come into it. Oh, my husband's circumcised. So my son's circumcised to look the same, you know, it's the pediatrician's going to do it on Monday. Like, and they, you know, they're not looking back. They're not looking into it unless yeah. they have someone that's like, Hey, I want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do it, I want to see you go somewhere. Good. I tell people all the time. I'm really snobby. Yeah. Um, I'm snobby about where my people go for care. I'm very <laughs> snobby about where they go for chiropractic, for body work, for obviously lip and tongue ties. Oh, like <laughs> I, I have specific places that I trust that I vetted. Yeah. Um, and most of my people are like, oh no, we like you snobby, please be snobby. (laughs) Show us your snob. You're the Um, good kind of snobby for sure. The good kind of snobby, like, and it's, (laughs) it matters to me. I I don't want to see someone take their son's genitals 
And if they are intending to do this procedure, which is okay, it's informed choice. And sometimes there is religious reasons to do it. I am not going to stand on a soapbox and say, this should never be done that, you know, it's, it's your baby, it's your choice, but I want you to go into it understanding what is this going to look like? What's it going to do to your breastfeeding relationship or what can it do to your breastfeeding relationship? What are some things that you can encounter when you get home? What is the most common panicked call that I get post-circumcision? Like we're discussing all of these things going into it. And then my families get to choose whether they want to do it or not. And across the board, most of them watch the videos. They look at the websites. uh, They look at the statistics and they talk to their friends that they didn't even know their sons weren't circumcised. Mm. And then they make their decision. So, um, yeah, I have an intact son. So we chose not to circumcise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as he's gotten older, like we've had discussions about it. Like he's asked, like, what does that mean? Or why do I look different? And I've explained it very openly and very honestly. Yeah. This is what your foreskin does. This is what its purpose is. This is why your body was created. Yeah. with this what yeah. and this is how you're going to take care of it as you get older and this is what we could have done to mm-hmm. remove it off of your body mm-hmm. and this is why we might have done that and you know it's these open conversations have been plenty for him and he was about 4 and I'll never forget him saying mommy thanks for not cutting the tip of my penis off <laughs> and I was like you're welcome and you're welcome <laughs> You know, so, the kids of nurses, the kids of people in healthcare in general, <laughs> they just oh have to gosh. grow up with a lot more vocabulary words at oh, a much yeah. younger age than other kids. My, my three-year-old can name every bit of her own female anatomy, her <laughs> genital anatomy. She knows every bit of it and mm-hmm. can tell you the proper words. And I think that's important because I get grown women on their fourth baby, that'll come to me and say, now, is the baby's umbilical cord attached to my belly button? You know, things like that. And that's, then just God love them because it's, there's, <laughs> it's not their fault that they yeah. don't know. Yeah. Nobody's ever talked to them. No, you have a placenta and this is the placenta's purpose. And yeah, I don't think that was part of our high school health class. Oh my God. Of course it wasn't. It was not a part of mine at all. I can assure you like nothing, nothing, nothing. And like that there, I I have all kinds of long winded stories, but my call into women's health was not a surprise for anyone around me. Like it was like my parents looking at it, you know, family looking at it. They're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah. No, we knew you were going into healthcare and yeah, we, yeah, we saw this coming. So, um, Yeah, no. And I love it. I love the ability to share with people things that they never even might thought to question. So my midwife did that for me and Mm -hmm. I am forever grateful for her. You know, she looked me in the face at appointments and said, I want you to research this and you have options and it's your job to make choices that you believe in. And at the end of the day, this is your baby. This is your baby. This is what's going to be your child. These are decisions that you have to live with. 
So you need to be informed in them and you need to decide on something that at the end of the day you can believe in. Yeah. And that has been advice that I share over and over and over because this, these are not my babies. I've got my own babies at home that I get to make decisions about, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know, every family deserves the right to choose, but with their right to choose, they deserve actual factual information so that they can make an informed choice. That's a huge, huge passion point of mine. So me too. Very, very cool. So Abert, totally random question. Okay. Uh, Are you doing um, cause I'm thinking controversies and I don't even know if this is controversial or not. Um, do you give babies vitamin K or do any kind of goop in their eyes or so, anything or is baby like all natural? So again, we're coming back to informed choice. So, uh, the state law gives its own recommendations that mm-hmm. parents are allowed to decline if they do not want to administer these things to their babies. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, it's informing people, oh, hey, you, you do have options in this. These Mm -hmm. are what the state recommends. Mm -hmm. This is why the state recommends this. Mm -hmm. And here is your options. Do you want to do injectable vitamin K? Do you want to do oral drops? Here are the statistics on these options. Here are the statistics on not doing them at all. Mm -hmm. And do you, what do you decide? So I have access to injectable vitamin K. Okay. And I, I provide it for the families that do want it. That do choose to. Okay. With informed consent. Same thing with the erythromycin eye ointment. And -hmm. it's after extremely long conversations of this is what erythromycin is. And this erythromycin is a broad spectrum antibiotic and it's in a petroleum base. Mm -hmm. And do you have any family history of allergies to antibiotics? And this is why the state wants you to receive your baby to receive this. These are the potential side effects of this. Um, Please listen to me verbally. And then please sign this paper once you read it. And here is a copy of the insert. (laughs) And I would like you to read this too. And then sign (laughs) one way or another. Um, but yes, I have access to those things and I do administer them for the families that do want them. Nice. Um, what about this was, so my, the first time I was really upset with the medical system was when I gave birth to my first baby. Um, and, and she was given a vaccine in the hospital without any consent or any permission from me at all. Um, I had no idea until after it was done. Um, so is it knowing the pros, the cons, the risk, the benefits is that initial hep B vaccine, something that, that you even offer, or is it something where like, Hey, here's the risk and benefit. If you would like this, then let's get you with another practitioner who will do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I do not carry the, the initial happy. That's not one that I even offer. I feel yeah. like it's something that if the families want it, then I am more than happy to get them set up to see that pediatrician yeah. super quick, um, to receive it. So, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I don't do happy injections at home. Is there, do you even, do you even know of any benefits of giving a newborn a hep B vaccine? 
it, it goes back to screening, you know, and lifestyle. So most of my families, the babies are not going to be at a high risk mm-hmm. of used needle injury. We know that the mothers have not tested positive for hep B because they've had lab work to verify that they do not have hep B in any trimester, including mm-hmm. before birth. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I. Does that, that suck? Yeah, it's so frustrating. But yes, yeah, the the Hep B series is one that I just kind of shake my head at. And I'm like, okay, somebody help me, somebody help me understand this, please. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Help help me get like I it made sense to me, especially in my in my previous life before I was more holistically minded. It made a ton of sense for me to get a Hep B vaccine at the beginning of dental school. You know, knowing that I would be exposed to potential bloodborne pathogens. There's a risk involved there. That made sense to me, but they brought my, my sweet new baby back to me in the hospital vaccinated. I I was like, wait, you did what you vaccinated her against an STD. Yeah. Oh God. I'm so sorry. Cause that it does, it happens. Um, it does. And it shouldn't, it's, it's just awful. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. But I mean, gosh, what a wake up call yeah. to go, holy cow, like this is, <clears throat> this is a big deal. This happened to my baby. Yeah. 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 Um, I have been, this is probably a, a soapbox for another time, but um, my big eye opener in the vaccinations was through nursing school because I, again, I went to nursing school in a rural area mm-hmm. and we I was fully vaccinated as a child and then they couldn't find my pediatrician had retired. So they didn't have access to my vaccine records. My mom didn't have them. And then, so I just went to the health department and got all my required vaccinations. Yeah. For just do them again. Yeah. It was fine. I did it yeah. again and yeah. no big deal. Yeah. And then they lost those records, Dr. Ingram. And I didn't know any better. And I did them again. So at this point I've been triple vaccinated and then I kid you not for the last time, the day before clinical started, they said, we cannot find your paperwork. I am so sorry, but you can't start clinicals because we don't have proof of your vaccination status. Oh my goodness. So yes. So for the fourth time I was given all of the Hep B, like my Hep B titers are remarkable. I would hope so. Hmm. Had I even known to be able to say, no, please just take my, check my titers. But I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't didn't know the health department's like, yeah, come in, see you at two. We'll give you that HPV one that's so popular right now while you're here. Uh Yeah. And like, I, I did not have correct sensation in my upper arms for years. After that, um, I had literally what felt like nerve damage. The kicker for me though, was my husband and I had just started dating at that point. I had my Nokia flip phone, you know, I'm old. Um, it was <laughs> great. I remember getting in my car at the health department, but I don't remember anything else. Um, and at, at some point I called him incoherent and he could hear me, but he couldn't understand me. Oh my God. And, and God bless him. But he drove around that small country town until he found me. Um, and I had parked myself in a Sonic parking lot and he got me out of my car and he took me home and he put me in my bed and thank God I didn't vomit or anything dangerous, but yeah. I, 
I don't have any memory of it after that last set of vaccinations. Crazy. And it is crazy. And to me to look back on it and go, holy crap. I just didn't, I never questioned it until that, until that happened. And after that happened, I was like, huh, I don't think I want a flu shot. You know, obviously this was a gross, gross misuse of vaccinations. Obviously this was not done appropriately. You had no informed consent. I had no informed consent. And also, I mean, nobody gets quadruple vaccinated in a three month period that it just shouldn't have been allowed. The health department shouldn't have done it. Yeah. However, we did it anyways. And I wound up incredibly, incredibly ill. I was so sick for a long time after that. So it just, you know, I, but it was a shock to me to go, ah, I guess I better pay attention. Yeah. I guess if if nobody else is going to pay attention to this for me. I guess I better see what's up. I guess I better look into this. So, yeah. and it's, yeah. <laughs> you better it, keep that darn shot record. <laughs> oh my God. Like I just handed it in and yeah, no, I, sh- I always make a lot of copies these days, but you know, I was, I was 18. You yeah. know, I didn't know what I didn't know. No, I was green. No. I got a high school. I trusted what everyone told me to do. Yep. And I didn't know any different. And that's for me, that's one reason I take this all so seriously is yeah. because I, I do know differently now. And I am in a position that I can share with people that things can be done differently, that there is information out there that needs to be received. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that there's not a time and a place for medical interventions. That's not it at all. But I am a huge, huge advocate for informed choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, we touched on things that probably could each be their own podcast episode. Like I'm so curious now about the circumcision issue. That could be another hour, probably all by itself. We could probably talk about vaccines for at least an hour. Um, if not more, <laughs> uh, but we will, we will leave it at that for today. Um, so can you please tell everyone where people can find you? What's the best way to reach out and, um, and how can they, if, if somebody is thinking about planning for a baby, what's the best way to get in touch with you? So, um, they are more than welcome to reach out. Honestly, my phone is the best way to do it. I do not even have a website. I'm What's serious, that? right? A telephone. Oh my God. So yeah, I, Dr. Ingram, I don't have a website at this point. Everything is word of mouth. I'm serious. Like it's, I love it. Yeah. My name is passed from family to family, um, mm-hmm. from lips to lips in a human connection kind of way. And I really dig it. So, um, but no, my phone number is absolutely accessible. It's on the internet. Um, I'm happy to give it here if that's what you would like. Um, but phone or email is absolutely fine. I have deep roots midwifery. It's a holistic birth and Texoma. So I am very much on Google. (laughs) People can find me. Um, yes. 
All right. Deep Roots Midwifery. And we'll put your email address. How about that in the show notes? That works great. I love that. Perfect. Oh, Megan, thank you so much. This was fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for taking time with me. You had such good, thoughtful questions. I always love talking to you. Ah, same, same. I had a, I had a feeling that this would be a fun conversation. Absolutely. Always fun. (laughs) I love to talk again, human connection. That's right. That's right. Oh, go take a disc profile. Oh my God. Yes. I'm going to do it. Thank you so much. You should. Cause then it's like, it's like quick, like, okay. I can tell in like five seconds. Oh, that person's a D that person's a C. Um, I love that. And then you tailor your conversations really quickly to, to who they seem to be. I will do that. I'll text you what mine is after we get done. Okay. Fabulous. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Ingram. It was great. Thank you, dear. We'll talk soon. Alrighty. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.